Well, if you're still on track and you're reading a chapter each day, um, today is Sunday on the Lord's Day, and our reading for today is Matthew 21. And, and with this, it's sort of a transitional period in Matthew's Gospel, because here we begin reading about the very last week of Jesus' earthly life before his crucifixion and resurrection. Uh, we have the triumphal entry and Jesus cursing the fig tree, his authority challenged, and he tells another parable. Um, so there's a lot to see here in this chapter, but let's just think about a couple of things, um, big picture kind of stuff. And I, what I see, a uh, cool thing that we see in Matthew 21 at the beginning is Jesus is prophet, priest, and king. Jesus is prophet, priest, and king. One thing you may or may not have thought about is how the, how the Old Testament points forward to Jesus. I know we talk about that a bit, but I don't know how much you've thought about it yourself. You may have thought about the fact that the Old Testament points forward to Jesus, but maybe you haven't thought about how the Old Testament points forward to Jesus. If you've been reading through Matthew from the beginning and have been following uh, these podcasts, listening to these podcasts, you might remember some of those um, connections from the early chapters. And I think we get another glimpse of that in our chapter today. In the Old Testament, you had three main offices of people. You had prophets, you had priests, and you had kings. You had prophets who declared the word of the Lord to the people, priests who worked in the temple of the Lord to be mediators between the people and the Lord, and you had kings beginning with Saul and then David, etc., to rule over the people under the Lord. They were three separate offices, and what we see in this chapter is another glimpse that all three of those offices come together in Jesus Christ. He is all three, prophet, priest, and king. If you'll notice uh, the beginning of this chapter in the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem, as he rode into town on a donkey, Matthew says that this was fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecy in Zechariah 9.9. Uh, he quotes that in verses 4 and 5 of Matthew 21. Not only was this a prophecy about how he would come into Jerusalem, humbled and mounted on a donkey, on a, and on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden, but it was a prophecy about who would be coming into Jerusalem on that day. Behold, your king is coming to you. Oh, there's king. Your king is coming. And then as he rode into town, as prophesied, the crowds, what were they shouting and shouting enthusiastically? Hosanna, it says in verse 9 and also verse 15, Hosanna to the son of David. The two blind men uh, who were healed at the last chapter um, recognized Jesus as the son of David. Matthew himself begins his gospel that way. If you'll recall back in chapter 1 in that genealogy, Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham, Matthew 1.1. 1, 1. The, the constant reference to Jesus as the son of David also points to his, to his fulfillment to David that one would come and sit on his royal throne forever. That was the promise back in 2 Samuel 7, verses 12 and 13. Jesus is king. In fact, he's the king of kings. Revelation 17, 14, and Revelation 19, 16. It is not incumbent uh, upon us to submit our lives to him just because he loved us and showed us grace, but because we owe it to him as the one who possesses all authority in heaven and on earth. Matthew 28, 19. Jesus is king. 
but his kingship is most clearly seen in this chapter. We also get a glimpse that he's prophet and priest as well. As Jesus rode into the town and the people declared his royal praise, they also affirm in verse 11, yes, in verse 11, um, that, quote, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. The writer of the book of Hebrews begins his book saying, and we saw this, or we're going to see this in, uh, in, in next week, long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. He's spoken to us by his son, Hebrews 1, 1 and 2, first part of verse 2. Peter acknowledged that Jesus is the one who, quote, has the words of eternal life, John 6, 68. So Jesus is the ultimate prophet and messenger of the Lord, for he is the Lord himself. Additionally, after the people declare him as king and prophet, where does Jesus go to next in the story of Matthew 21? He goes to the temple. Well, who works in the temple? The priests. He came into the temple and he exercised authority over it, pointing out how the earthly priests had profaned the temple by allowing the crooked and dishonest money changers to work there. Jesus' authority exceeded the earthly priests because he is the ultimate and final priest who ultimately and finally and fully brings us to God. Some of us who are so practically minded that we don't know what to do with this information. I mean, okay, Jesus is prophet and priest and king. What do I do with that? How do I apply that to my life? What do we do with it? Well, I'll tell you what we do with it. We praise him. We worship him. That's what the people did, and Jesus didn't rebuke them for it, but reminded the priests and the scribes that David wrote about his praise long before in Psalm 8. He says that in verse 16. This, this passage exalts our Lord and Savior, and that is the appropriate response uh, to him. See him for who he is and worship him. He's prophet, priest, and king. Second thing and final thing I want to see in this chapter is the priests and the elders doubt Jesus' authority. While Jesus was still in the temple, the chief priests and elders approached Jesus and they begin to question the, the legitimacy of uh, Jesus' uh, authority and to do it openly. Uh, although not too disrespectfully yet more on this in just a minute they simply ask where his authority came from in verse 23 they don't outright say he doesn't have authority though it's clear they don't believe that he has authority but at this point they act like they just want to know where it came from jesus responds with a question about their understanding of who john the baptist was in verses 24 and 27 and then jesus tells two parables verses 28 to 32 and verses 33 to 41 he tells two parables. Interestingly, both parables involve vineyards, which that's not incidental. A vineyard was a common Old Testament metaphor for the people of Israel. If you want to see that, there's a billion places you could go. But look at like Psalm 80, verse 8, or Isaiah chapter 5, verses 1 through 7, or Jeremiah 12, verse 10. A vineyard is a common Old Testament metaphor for the people of Israel. And the chief priests and the elders, they knew their Bibles well. And so verse 45 tells us that they perceived that he was speaking these parables about them. 
Well, they weren't idiots. The sum and substance of these parables is basically this. Their status as Israelites, the special covenant people of God, does not guarantee them anything if they fail to accept him and trust in him like some of the rejected people in society were doing. Jesus finishes his parables reminding them in verse 42 of what it says in Psalm 118, verses 22 and 23, where it is prophesied that he is one that the very chosen people of God would reject. While the, the, the rejects, as it were, in society would embrace him. Jesus said because of their rejection, it would be taken away from them and given to others who will believe. Let me just close with this. What kept them from believing and embracing Jesus? Well, volumes could be written about this, and surely there were many reasons. But there is one reason that is mentioned more than once in this chapter as the reason they refuse to believe, and that is their fear of man. They didn't directly answer Jesus' question about John the Baptist because it says in verse 26 that they, we are afraid of the crowd. And they wanted to arrest him and oppose him openly after he told the parables about him, but they didn't. Why? Because verse 46 says they feared the crowds. Fear of man and, and giving other people more authority over us and influence over us than they rightly deserve can be an eternally dangerous thing when it influences your response to our holy and gracious God. These men sentenced themselves to a Christless eternity because they feared men more than God. This is why the, Jesus very pointedly said back in Matthew 10, 28, do not though fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Now that's a hard saying, but it's a true saying nonetheless. Don't let what another person might think be a stumbling block to your submission in response to Jesus. In the end, what really matters? In the end, it won't matter one bit if you, were in, if you impressed somebody else and was in their good graces if by doing that you missed the grace of God altogether. Jesus is more important. Jesus is always more important.